Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Uh, my name is Jeremy Moore. I'm pastor of discipleship here at Southridge. want to welcome you here, all of you who are in person. want to welcome those of you who are watching online. And um, I want to tell you that my, if you were to ask my wife, she'll tell you one thing I don't get to do that much with just the busyness of work and family and all the stuff um, is I, lo- I love to go on a joy ride. I just don't get to do it that much. Okay. And so I love to just literally like jump in the car and just drive somewhere and just see where the road takes me. Just be like, oh, this is where this is and this is where that is. And just to kind of try to get lost a little bit. And just to, to kind of like find my way back and just see where the road takes me. I don't get to do it that much, but there's a big difference between a joyride and what I do many days, which is a commute. Now, I'm not talking about, some of you guys know I live on campus. My commute's not that bad. I, like, I pretty much just walk up here um, onto campus, so that's not that bad. But I actually do work a couple hours a week outside the church office, and I transport some guys to their school program defined destination, which actually defines the journey as well. So my priorities and my choices along the way are different because I'm sort of, it's toward the goal of arriving at a certain destination. This morning, we're actually talking about where history will arrive, the destination for history as God reveals it in scripture. And one of the things that we're going to key right in on is that it changes the journey to clearly focus on God's destination. It actually defines our priorities in the here and now to sort of say, what's the future that God reveals to us in Scripture? Um, we are, as Nathan said earlier, we're starting a new series today called Triumph of the Lamb. We've been in the book of Revelation since September. Can you believe that? If you've been with us, we've been in Revelation since September. We've gone through just a lot of encouragements, but also quite a, quite a few tensions and conflicts. And we arrive now for Easter at the last two chapters of Revelation, which are almost entirely pure encouragement and inspiration. And so it's just the perfect place to arrive here as we start the Easter week, as we kind of, uh, Holy Week is approaching. This is the first day of Holy Week. And so uh, I'd love to share with you from Revelation 21. To do that, we need to go back to the beginning to clearly see what's being communicated in Revelation 21. In the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, the world was created in wholeness and harmony. Every relationship in perfect harmony with every other relationship. So you and I were created in harmony with God, uh, in harmony with self, in harmony with others, in harmony with creation as a whole. But we find out as the story of Scripture goes on that because of human rebellion, that harmony was broken, that peace was shattered, that shalom was shattered. Because of human rebellion, the consequences were our relationship with God was broken. Human beings had previously walked and talked with God in the Garden of Eden, but human rebellion brought separation from God. And not only that, but our relationships, our relationship with self was broken. Our, our relationship with ourself internally was broken. Whereas before, humans had existed in a state of total satisfaction. Now, because of human rebellion, there's a restless longing in us for the glory that we can't, 
quite grasp. Sort of a, a glory that we're pursuing that we sense was lost, but we, we sort of can't grab onto it. And human beings previously existed in a state of moral integrity, but because of human rebellion, there's now a gap between how we aspire to live and how we actually live. And our relationship with others was broken. Human beings had previously loved each other as worship to God. And because of human rebellion, uh, we now experience the struggle of self-centeredness and division. And our relationship with creation itself was broken. Creation had previously been a place of safety and provision for humans. Will this brokenness be healed? And if so, how? Will this brokenness be healed? And if so, how? And the answer that Scripture gives in two words, the cross. God switched places with us. In Christ, Jesus took the consequence of our sin so that the broken relationships caused by human rebellion could be completely mended. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the Apostle Paul says this, all of those relationships that were broken by human rebellion, how will they be healed? They will be healed because Jesus laid down his life. Jesus took on the consequences so that the brokenness could be healed and all those relationships could be mended. So in a couple of words, God's trajectory for history is complete restoration, complete restoration. In Ephesians 1, Paul actually describes that complete restoration further. Ephesians 1, verses 8 and 9, uh, the apostle Paul writes, with all wisdom and understanding purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Okay, so there's a mystery that's going to be put into effect by God when the times reach their fulfillment. What is it? Paul goes on to tell us. Are you ready? This is the mystery that God will put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Everything that was broken and to do it through Christ. And this is exactly what we see in Revelation 21. Revelation 21, we have this beautiful scene. Heaven descends to earth. Earth and heaven are joined under the kingship of Jesus. And the presence of God brings healing to all of creation. Are you ready to hear the passage? Revelation 21, we're going to read verses 1 to 27. And Leah is actually going to come up. And she's going to read it for us. So read it along silently in your Bible as she reads it out loud. Listen as she reads for these three themes that we're going to unpack as we go along. God's presence will be fully expressed. God's presence will be fully expressed. God's people will be finally completed. And God's peace will be permanently established. All right? Think of those three inspiring realities Listen for them as you hear it. If you, are, if you do happen to be using the Bible in front of you under the chair, it's page 1937 in that Bible. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 27. Take it away, Leah. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, pre prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his and he their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no more be death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice uh, magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seven crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The gate, the great street of the city, was gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. 
On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. All right, thank you, Leah. So verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So we hear this kind of coupling of heaven and earth here. It, re- it, it throws us right back to the first chapter of the Bible, actually the first verse of the Bible. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This kind of coupling of heaven and earth is a literary device. It's what's called a merism. And what it means is two parts, like two uh, contrasting parts that represent the whole. Uh, if that sounds a little highfalutin, I'll give you a couple of examples that we might use every day in modern society. We might say, I searched high and low. What does that mean? You looked everywhere, right? We might say, she's got the whole kit and caboodle. What does she have? She has, she has it all. She's got everything. All right, so um, here, Revelation 21.1 uses heavens and earth in the same way that Genesis 1.1 does. It means everything. It means like everything up there, everything down here. It means the whole creation, the whole creation. The difference in how it's used is this. In Genesis 1.1, where God is creating everything out of nothing from scratch. Uh, here in Revelation 21.1, God's remaking everything. He's recreating everything. Um, there's a special Greek word that's used. It's the, gr- the Greek word kainos. And it, it carries the implication of renovation. Um, it'll be renewed or renovated or resurrected. Okay, we're not talking about the... Uh, universe, the creation being created from scratch, but renovated, resurrected. This fits really well with what John says. He says, the first creation passes away. Okay, The picture that we sort of get is our bodies will pass away. Our fallen bodies will pass away, but they'll be resurrected. Right? The New Testament teaches us, the New and Old Testament teaches us they'll be resurrected. In the same way, creation will pass away, but it'll be resurrected. Okay? Our bodies won't be scrapped, they'll be resurrected. Our creation won't be scrapped, it'll be resurrected, it'll be restored, it'll be renewed. And then John says there in verse 1 that there's no longer any sea. What's that about? I mean, we're Jersey people. We love the Jersey Shore, right? I mean, Dan Arthur's here, Jersey Shore, right, babe? Jersey Shore? Okay, you know, Nathan's hot dog, surfing, like, kind of what's the deal with this? There's no longer any sea. An ancient person would have heard this as a fantastic thing. Uh, They would have seen in this that there's no longer any sea. They would have seen restoration all over this image. Throughout scriptures, the the, the sea is pictured as an enemy. Um, If you think about like water destroyed the earth at the time of Noah. Um, In the Exodus, the sea was actually a barrier to escape from slavery. Um, In Old Testament poetry, how often does the poet say, and the waters overwhelmed me? So sea represents just drowning and chaos. To ancient people, the sea also represented evil. Ancient people thought of the sea as a place where evil spirits dwelled. Um, To ancient people, the sea represented death. Um, The sea was a place where many people lost their lives from storms, from sinkings, uh, from um, shipwrecks. And In the ancient world, sea trade was a major way that tyranny was funded, materialism and tyranny of godless empires. And so to say there was a creation 
without any C is to say there was a creation without chaos, without evil, without tyranny, without death. And this would have been a sigh of joy and relief for ancient people. And Revelation pictures this healed creation coming about because Jesus returns. He finally defeats evil. And God's presence will be fully expressed. God's presence will be fully expressed. Look at 21.2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So John sees a heavenly Jerusalem descending to earth, and it brings with it the glory of heaven, the glory that God has always intended for his creation. Now, the significance of Jerusalem is that it's where the temple was. Throughout Scripture, the significance of Jerusalem is it's where God's presence dwells because it's where the temple was. So for John's original readers, this image of and a new Jerusalem descended, it would be heard as, and God's living, dynamic presence descended. And God came to live with his people. And that's exactly what we hear next. That's what's described in verses 3 to 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying from their eyes, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Now, for those whose faith is in Christ, there's a measure of this that we already experience. We might call it a foretaste. Uh, God's living spirit dwells in us through our faith in Christ. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says, having believed, you were given the Holy Spirit as a deposit of your full inheritance. And so the deposit is this, that God's presence lives in us spiritually, invisibly, inaudibly. We sense the Spirit with our hearts and with our minds, but the Spirit is invisible, inaudible, and uh, spiritual. But the full inheritance is this, that God's presence will be with us physically, visibly, audibly. Now we see him with our hearts and minds. Then we'll touch him with our resurrected hands. We'll see him with our resurrected eyes and we'll hear him with our resurrected ears. Whatever grief or pain or abuse that we've experienced, God will embrace us. He'll comfort us with his embrace. He'll wipe our tears from our eyes. There's an intimacy of language here that um, John uses these beautiful images of like a bridegroom just being with the bride that he delights in. A parent being with that parent's treasured child. That finally God, in a new way, is with his people and delighting in them like he's always intended to. And so we will be intimately in the presence of God in a way that we've never experienced before. Not only this, but God's presence will bring transformation to all of creation. Look at the description of the new Jerusalem in verse 11, 18, and 21. You'll see it on the screen. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. So the image seems to communicate this. It's so pure, it's translucent. It's so pure, it's so clear, it shimmers with the glory of God. 
Like the Old Testament temple and the Old Testament tabernacle, here we see a creation that's overlaid with gold and it's decorated with precious materials, communicating its sacredness. Creation is now sacred through and through. And this sacredness is emphasized over and over by the number 12. So we see the city has 12 gates. 12 angels are at each gate. The wall of the city has 12 foundations. The wall is 144 cubits thick, which is 12 times 12. The city is adorned with 12 different precious stones that are said to represent every precious stone. In apocalyptic literature, the number 12, and Nathan has kind of hit on this before, the number 12 represents totality. It represents totality. And so the repetition of 12 and the use of multiples of 12 highlights the totality of the restoration, that God's transforming presence will totally make this profane creation sacred. We aren't just talking about a new coat of paint. This is a complete renovation from the atoms on up. And there's one multiple of 12 that especially stands out. Look at 2116. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, as wide and as high as it is long. Okay, so it's 12,000 stadia or 1,500 miles. And it's a what? It's a perfect what? It's a cube. It's a perfect cube. It's 1,500 miles in every direction. That is a big city. That is a giant city. And I think an ancient person would have heard something very special in these measurements. Because there there's something else throughout Scripture, I'm going to draw this for you, that is also a perfect cube. Uh, so the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament had three parts. Okay, there was the outer court. And then there was a section called the holy place. And then there was a section right here. It was a perfect cube. Probably about 15 by 15 by 15. What's that called? The Holy of Holies. Okay, this is called the Holy of Holies. What's special about the Holy of Holies? Well, it's where God's presence dwelled. Okay, God's, this was like God's throne room. It was like the heart of the temple. It was where God's presence dwelled. Now, think about what John's doing here, all right? Um, a giant holy of holies descends from heaven to earth, all right? So here's earth. If there's a giant holy of holies that lands in the middle of the earth as the centerpiece of the earth, representing God's comforting and transforming presence, then what does that make the whole of creation? The what? The temple. Yeah, somebody said it. It makes the whole of creation the temple. If, if, if it sort of has this giant of holy of holies at the center, the whole creation is a temple. It emphasizes the sacredness that will come about because of God's transforming presence. This connects in a really cool way to a vision in the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, between chapters 40 and 48, there's this whole long description of a future temple that will bring restoration to all of creation. And um, in chapter 47, there's this really striking scene in the vision. Ezekiel approaches the temple, and his feet are wet 
because there's water flowing out of the temple. And as he gets closer to the temple, the water rises, which is actually like completely imprecise because the, the temple is a mount. So the water should actually be flowing downhill and rising somewhere else. But the, the, the meaning of the vision is, is that the, the water is just welling up within the temple and comes bursting forth from the temple like a river. And it actually flows out to restore the land of Israel and beyond to all creation. And so apparently what John is doing here is he's saying, remember that? Remember that people who are reading the Old Testament? And he's saying like, here's where it finds its fulfillment, not in the physical structure of a building ultimately, but not a what, but a who, God's very presence bringing transformation to all of creation. And he actually says that. John comes right out and says that in verse 22. Look at 21, 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. God's presence will be fully expressed. That's number one. Secondly, God's people will be finally completed. God's people will be finally completed. Look at 21, the second half of verse 6, verse 6b. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. In this fallen world that you and I live in, we are often thirsty. We, we have a sense that there's a glory in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds, in our world that we're missing. We're, we're, we're chasing after it. We're grasping for it. We're restless and longing for it, but we can't quite grab hold of it. Um, if we were to sort of put it in the words of a U2 song, we might say, all of us still haven't found what we're looking for. Um, and we experience beauty and wonder and worship and genuine love for each other and love for God, but still there's a restlessness, there's a longing, there's a thirst that's not quite satisfied. And, and here we see that that thirst has, God has appointed a day to quench it. It will be fully quenched. We will be totally satisfied once again. That restlessness, that longing is only temporary. God's presence is what will satisfy our thirst. And God has appointed a day to fully satisfy our restlessness and longing. And he will eternally be our satisfaction. C.S. Lewis writes this, the Christian says creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find myself, if I find in myself a desire with no experience in, in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage." 
I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. Lewis says this. Lewis says, when we experience that restlessness and longing, here's what it's meant for. It's meant to arouse in us a desire for how things will ultimately be when God accomplishes his final destination. Our longings will be satisfied. And our sanctification will be complete. The text says our sanctification will be complete. Look at verses 7 and 8 and also verse 27. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Nothing impure will ever enter the city, nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Um, one of you I was chatting with in a group setting and just was simply saying, I, I, I was reading this chapter and I came across this verse and I just thought, man, I can see myself in that list. Can you see yourself in that list? I can see myself in that list. If we're honest, we can all see ourselves in that list. We're fallen people with fallen minds, fallen hearts. We live in a fallen world. We are people that struggle with things on that list, things like cowardice, unbelief, sexual immorality, deceit, and more. But the good news is, the good news of the gospel is that's not the end of the story. Uh, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 6. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh man, that's a bummer. And then he goes on. The next verse says this, and this is what some of you were. This used to mark your identity. This is what some of you were, but here's what the current reality is. You were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Every single one of us is broken to restored relationship with him through Jesus. As we embrace Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we come into right relationship with God, restored relationship. As we walk in restored relationship with God, he's making us like Jesus. He's sanctifying us. Revelation 21 expresses the end game of that sanctification process. We will be 100% pure, 100% completed by God's transforming presence. Like the city that will inhabit, we will be pure. We will be holy. We will be so pure, we're translucent. Nancy Guthrie writes, there will be no temple in the city because the city will be a temple. And it will be filled with people, people who have been made clean by the blood of the Lamb, had their name written in his book and made holy by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The blessing of the new creation is that he who began a good work in us will have been faithful to complete it. The one who said, be holy for I am holy, will have completed his sanctifying work in our lives so that we really will be holy as he is holy, perfectly, pervasively, permanently holy. This is what we were made for. God's trajectory for human history is, one, that God's presence will be fully expressed. Two, that God's people will be finally completed. And lastly, that God's peace will be permanently established. God's peace will be permanently established. I mentioned the U2 song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Great song. Really enjoy the song. 
there's one line in the song that's totally out of sync with this passage. And it's, it's this song, Bono sings, I believe, it's this, this line, Bono sings, I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one. That's not the picture we get from the passage. We actually don't get the passage that, all, we don't get the picture that all the colors will bleed into one. We see beautiful unity in this passage between different cultures and different ethnicities. We see them remain distinct. We see that there are these beautiful sort of pictures of unified um, people in Jesus, but their unique cultural expressions and the unique colors of their ethnicity remain. There's no generic monochrome cultural expression here in this passage. Instead, we see unity and diversity, beautiful unity and diversity. We see a mosaic of cultural expressions that retains the unique colors of every tribe, nation, people, and tongue, while at the same time being completely unified by faith in Jesus. Let's look at some examples. Uh, look at verse 12 and 14. The city had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. At the time the New Testament was written, you could, could hardly find uh, two people groups who had more animosity for each other than Jews and Gentiles. And yet in God's wisdom, he brought Jews and Gentiles together through Christ into one body, integrating them as one people. And yet we see here that they are sort of honored and recognized sort of separately for their unique cultural ethnicity and the expression of their culture in the New Jerusalem. They're sort of honored by name, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, which represent the integration of Jew and Gentile. And so we sort of see this beautiful coming together of the nations through Christ. Take a look also at uh, verse 23, 24, and 26. It'll be on the screen. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. So we have the glory and honor of the nations being brought into the holy city. Um, this is not a creation where all colors have bled into one. This is a creation that retains and redeems the unique expressions of various cultures and ethnicities. Uh, Vern Poitras writes this, The distinctiveness of different cultures and peoples will not simply be wiped out, but redeemed. The nations bring in their splendor, that is, the diversity of riches, whether material, intellectual, artistic, or spiritual. Nancy Guthrie writes, we live in a world of suspicion, elitism, racism, and nationalism that fills many with pride, rage, and resentment and creates deep divides between people groups. As we leave those things behind and embrace our brothers and sisters in Christ of different colors and cultures, we become a living preview of the beautiful community we're going to live in forever. Just imagine it. No division, no discord, no distrust. We're going to live together with brothers and sisters in Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation, sharing in the love of Christ forever. And finally, uh, the last aspect of peace that I want to highlight is peace in the created order. The created order has been turned inside out by human rebellion, but it will once again be marked by peace rather than harm, rather than danger, rather than insecurity. 
Look at Revelation 21, 25. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Because creation itself is completely pure, inhabited by people that are completely sanctified, creation will once again be a place of provision, a place of safety. In the ancient world, the city gates were closed at night because this is when all the hanky-panky took place, murders, robberies, harm. Uh, There will be no night in the new Jerusalem. That is to say, in the new creation, there will be nothing and no one who will bring us harm. There will be no need to shut the city gates. Leave them open. Who's going to harm us? Violence and selfish harm will no longer rule the created order. Nancy Guthrie writes, you and I now live in a world that is insecure. We shut our gates and lock our doors. We are bombarded by scenes of bombings in the heart of major cities, refugees risking their lives to escape poverty and danger, news reports about deadly viruses, killer bees and natural disasters, polluted waters, nuclear weapons, cyber attacks, and civil unrest. And we know we're vulnerable, but that vulnerability has an expiration date. One day, we're going to make our home in the new creation that will be completely secure, perfectly peaceful. It will have unsurpassed beauty and abundant resources. You know, we might listen to all this and say, so what? We might listen to all this and say, "Um, so one day, far off in the distance, uh, there's going to be a beautiful future. But my present doesn't, it doesn't feel very much like that. And I'm not sure what it has to do with my present. I started this teaching by talking about the difference between a joyride and a commute. It's easy for you, it's easy for me to sort of see this world as a joyride. We just kind of see where it goes. Just take it one day at a time. Like kind of see where it ends up. Scripture says this, no, it's a commute. It's a commute. So it has a defined destination that God has revealed to us in Scripture. And so because we fix our eyes firmly on the destination for history that he has communicated. It changes our choices and our priorities in the here and now. Um, That's what Peter says in 2 Peter 3. Um, One of the places where the new heavens and new earth is mentioned by name outside of Revelation is 2 Peter 3. And this this is Peter's point in mentioning it. He says, in keeping with the promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, he says, so what? Let me tell you. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying like, because you have your eyes firmly fixed on the new heavens and the new earth, it actually changes what your priorities are in the here and now. Your tomorrow is informed, your today is informed by what God has revealed about tomorrow. Let's just look at a few ways that that's true. If the DNA of the new creation is God's presence fully expressed, then our daily lives need to be about intimacy with God. They need to be about intimacy with God. Now, like God's, God's sort of maybe grown that in my rhythms over the years, my, like, my life rhythms, just intimacy with him, planned and spontaneous intimacy throughout the day. But isn't it easy just to sort of like handle all the pressing priorities of the day, put your head on the pillow, shoot up a quick prayer, and you're half asleep before you finish it? Um, We we need to say, if the DNA of new creation is God's presence permeating everything, like we need to take seriously daily intimacy with God, just weaving him and connection with him like a thread throughout the day. 
Uh, we also need to take seriously integrating him with every area of life. Integrating him with every area of life. With our, our finances, our marriage, our work, our learning. Every area of life, we need to integrate God's truth and relationship with him. Because creation will be fully integrated under Jesus in the end. And if, if new creation, if the DNA of new creation is about God's people finally completed, God's people finally completed, then we must intentionally redirect our hope when we feel that restless longing. You know the, 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 you know the feeling that I'm talking about because I have it too, you have it too. When we feel that restless longing, like the world is broken and I just wish that there was something more beautiful, something that was, was worth holding on to, and we pursue that glory that we kind of sense in our hearts and minds was lost when this world fell, we tend to go after lesser gods to fill that space. And like C.S. Lewis says, allow it, let us allow it to be a prompt to say there will come a day when the water of the presence of God will not only restore this land, but it will bring me total satisfaction. It'll quench the thirst that I'm experiencing right now. And if, if um, the DNA of new creation is God's people finally completed, our sanctification process done, then we need to be people who daily invite God's transforming work. If, if, our, if our sanctification process being done means we're 100% holy, and that's God's trajectory for us, we need to pursue holiness. We need to pursue integrity. And, when I say, and the second I say that, I think some people are like, oh, like I knew it was going to come down to like just behave better, try harder. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God, cha God changes us. God heals us. And so God, so daily saying, God, where am I broken? Show me so I can intentionally lean into your transforming grace in that area so I can walk with you in the healing of my brokenness because that's where it's all going. And if, if the DNA of new creation is God's peace permanently established, if it's God's peace permanently established, then one of the things I have to prioritize is being interested in other cultures and ethnicities, is getting to know people who are unlike me and listening, experiencing their stories, looking at life through their eyes, understanding the beautiful things that make their culture their culture, the things that are God-glorifying that we will find in the new creation. And the other thing that, that we have to prioritize, if the DNA of new creation is God's peace permanently established, is just investing relationally and missionally in others. Because did you notice in the passage that people come together, people that are extremely different come together in new creation under Christ through their faith in him. That suggests that we need to be people who as, as we walk in relationship with others, we're listening for the prompt of the Holy Spirit. We're looking for opportunities to share our faith story and to live the light of Christ in relationship with other people so that they might see and trust in him and be part of that unifying uh, presence that will define the new creation. This morning, I'd like to invite you to reflect on everything that we've learned. I would like to encourage you. I'm going to invite the worship team back up to the stage. We're going to reflect on this final song. It's a song of victory. It, it's, 
expresses pretty much word for word the chapter that we just read. Uh, what I want for you is to be encouraged by this song. Also, to prayerfully consider what does it look like this day, this week, this month, this year? What does it look like for you to live the DNA of the new creation in the here and now? Let's listen to this song, reflect, and be encouraged.
for in this new city its temple is jesus christ our lord and in this bright city there's no need for sun only the glory of our god boy what a privilege to worship together today uh so glad that we were all part of this service together God bless you. Hope to see you again soon. Uh, have a great Sunday and a great week.